We have been looking in the Gospel of Mark for some time now, and we are in Mark chapter 13. It is a time when Jesus is describing things that relate to the end times. And as we look around in our world today, you know, we see a lot of things that are causing panic. We see a lot of things that cause fear. Uh, we are asking, and a lot of people are asking the question, is this the end? And uh, I thought uh, Winston Churchill, though he was responding to the victory of Rommel so long ago, gave a very good answer when he said, no, it's, it's, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps uh, the end of the beginning. And I've chosen that for our title of these messages. Uh, let's stand together at this time. We're going to reverence the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter 13 and verse 7. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. May God bless the reading of His word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The beginning of sorrows, the word sorrows that He uses is a word that speaks of birth pains or labor pains. His response at this moment was prompted by the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age? He reminded them of a lot of things that were happening and would be happening and continue to happen. And just as Jesus said, those things were happen, happening, they did happen, they continue to happen but like labor pains, these things would grow in intensity and in severity and in, and in rapidity as they grow closer and closer to giving birth. And what is going to be born is that incredible time of judgment that happens when Jesus returns to the earth. This is not the end. But what is? We well, you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, Paul tells us this. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Now he's talking about the resurrection here. Then comes the end. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, there is going to come a day, folk, when the kingdoms of this world will be replaced. And they'll be replaced by the kingdom of heaven's king. And all other human authority, all other human power is going to be subjugated to the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul is writing these things in 1 Corinthians, he is giving us information. And when we look at the epistles in the New Testament, we are looking at God's Holy Spirit-inspired commentary on the words of the Gospels and the Revelation and even the Acts. And so what this does for us is establish the doctrine. So uh, when Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, the end is not yet. Uh, but then Paul says, now this will be the end. And he's giving us some doctrinal clarification for this very significant passage he goes on in verse 51 behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed and so paul in this passage is speaking for us uh, about the time of the end, and he equates that to the time of 
the resurrection from the dead and the catching up of the rapture of those who are alive when Jesus returns. But he also mentions in keeping with this or in company with this, that time when Jesus would deliver the kingdom to God the Father and when he would put an end to all other rule and authority and power. Uh, he gives us more information about this here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul would add, uh, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Uh, we all have loved ones who've gone on before us, and we can rest in the knowledge that they are with Jesus Christ. Those who are, are, are not just waiting somewhere in some kind of limbo, no. Their spirit has gone on to be with the Lord. And there'll come a day in a glorious day when they are going to be resurrected. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will be caught up together. We call this the rapture. To meet the Lord in the air. Now the big question for Bible students is, and always has been, I guess, do these two events happen at the same time? We know that uh, those who are dead in Christ are going to rise and have a new body. And those who are alive in just an instant will be changed, transformed, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We know that's all going to happen. Paul refers to this, though, as then comes the end and he speaks of how there's going to be that time of the delivering of the kingdom and the establishment of his kingdom and the putting down of all enemies. Do these things happen at the same time? Now, there are a lot of people who do believe that. They believe that uh, the rapture will occur, as we call it. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll turn right around and come back down to this earth with Jesus and establish his kingdom. A lot of people believe that. If you do believe that, then you have to believe that we as God's people are going to go all the way through all seven years of this time of the tribulation. Um, I've got some problems with that view. Uh, for, for one thing, uh, folks, we're, we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. And uh, if we're not, if we're trying to uh, make this all fit in the other way, then we're going to have to be looking for the Antichrist, the man of sin, or as Jesus calls him in this passage, the abomination of desolation. But that's not what the Bible says. We look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's more. The idea then that uh, we'd be raptured, that is the rapture will occur, we'll go, go up and meet the Lord in the air and come right back and establish His kingdom, which puts that all at the very end of the tribulation period. Uh, I, I can't, I can't uh, fit that in with what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, remember in Revelation chapter 6, that's where that time of judgment begins. And 
And uh, you see the four horsemen and, and the rider on those four horses. And, and uh, the fifth seal then mentions the souls, the souls, the spirits of the martyrs who are crying out to God for judgment on all of those who had committed these atrocities. The sixth seal then mentions some of the same things we'll see in Mark chapter 13 and the signs and the sun and the moon and the stars. And Jesus, we'll see, talk about that even this morning. But then there's chapter 7. Chapter 7 talks about the sealing of the 144,000 Jews. What does that mean? It means they're going to be preserved alive. These are believing Jews. They'll believe in Jesus Christ during this time period. And their life is going to be saved so that they will go alive uh, through the tribulation and on into that time of Christ's kingdom. But then there's one more group that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. And uh, that is an innumerable number of people who are around the throne of God in heaven, worshiping Him with palms in their hands and praising Him. An innumerable number of people. And the question is asked then, verse 13, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to them, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. An innumerable host of people, saved people. We know they're saved because they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're described as those who came out of great tribulation and are serving Him in the temple in glory. The day and night is a euphemism because we know that there's no night in heaven. A day and night just means, like we say it, 24-7. There's no stop to this worship that is going on in the temple of God in heaven. This vast, innumerable host of people praising and worshiping God. And they came out of Great tribulation. It says, for this reason that I've come to believe that the rapture and the resurrection will play out in time separately and distinct from the time when Jesus' reign will come and He'll put an end to all other human authority and He'll establish His kingdom. I just can't put those things all together because we've got a scene here where all of those innumerable numbers of saints are gathered around the throne of God. Therefore, I put the rapture of the saints and the resurrection of the dead at the beginning of this time we call the Great Tribulation. That seems to fit best with all the things that that are said. I I, I can't go with the idea uh, that the rapture and the resurrection will happen then at the end of the tribulation so that we have to go through all of that. I can't figure that out. Somewhere in the very beginning of this tribulation period, I believe, folks, we're going to go home. I'm listening for the trumpet sound, for the dead in Christ to rise first. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the 144,000 who are sealed by God, who will go through the tribulation and then enter into the millennial kingdom. 
along with those who have been changed, who have their glorified bodies, who will return with Christ. We will live and reign with Him for a thousand years. Yeah, that's ten centuries, a thousand years. With this idea then in place of why I believe the Bible presents uh, these truths and how it presents them. We can move on then with our text in Mark chapter 13. Jesus has said, you see, many times, or said already that uh, the end is not yet. He's talked about many things rather than he said, but this is not the end. Then he gives the sign of his coming. I call this this morning the tribulation version because he's already talked about a lot of other signs, uh, but things are changing. Verse 14, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Many things, you see, would not bring forth or give birth to this time of unprecedented judgment. But there is one thing that will tell us it's happening. The appearance of the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Daniel spoke of this three times in his book. Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. Uh, twice it refers to the man we generally call the Antichrist. Once it refers to a historical event around an earthly ruler. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he was a ruler who invaded uh, Jerusalem and wrought terrible atrocities on the people there. He is presented then by Daniel as merely a picture, a type, a shadowing of, of the one who would really be this abomination of desolation we call this man commonly the Antichrist. The Bible also speaks of him as the man of sin. He is that one who will oppose and exalt himself above all. Set himself up to, be, to rule in Jerusalem and to be worshipped. And Mark specifically tells us that this is for an audience who would read this gospel account. That is, Mark knew that this had a specific audience in mind. It wasn't that Jesus was saying this. He was saying it to answer his disciples' question. But the information that he's recorded was put there for a particular group of people to read. And he even tells us who they are. They are those who dwell in Judea. You see, if the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation period, and I believe it is, and the dead in Christ rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together then to meet the Lord in the air, uh, then, then who's going to be left? Well, there'll be 144,000, whether a literal number or a representative number. Uh, I'll let the scholars argue over that. I'll just take it for what the Bible says. 144,000 Jews, at least, who are going to be saved, and Jesus is speaking directly to them. They need to read this. They need to read Daniel. And when they see that prophecy from Daniel coming to pass, then Jesus said, it's time to run. Now Daniel will tell us that 
uh, this uh, man will establish a peace treaty for three and a half years. He'll obtain the kingdom by flatteries, not by war. But ultimately, in the middle of that seven-year period, three and a half years, Daniel then tells us that he's going to violate that commandment, that abomination of desolation, then will stand up and exalt himself, and it will usher in what Jeremiah described in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 as the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. This coming world ruler will establish a time of peace. He'll be helped along by the false prophet. There is a religious component then to this political rule. And you remember this, folk, when a religious leader uh, combines himself, when a political leader, rather, combines himself with a religious movement, it produces a very powerful force. And whenever we have seen that happen, when a religious movement and a political movement joins together, whenever we've seen that happen in world history, it has brought unspeakable atrocity onto humanity every single time without exception. I personally believe that's why the founding fathers of this country uh, set uh, uh, that wall of separation between church and state. It wasn't, you see, a prohibition on the church against having influence in political powers. It was a prohibition against the government. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. Why? Because they knew that every time that the political structure gets uh, caught up then with a religious structure and they come together, the end is never, it's never good. I'd also encourage you to look around uh, right now at what, hap- what is happening in, in Ukraine. And you'll see uh, uh, that uh, Putin is working very hard to establish uh, what he calls Holy Russia. And has brought together what he understands to be the Russian world, which is nothing more than the spread of uh, their ideas, their ideology under r- the Russian Orthodox Church and and the Russian government, and spreading that then to the Russian-speaking people. I mean, you can read about it. You don't, I don't have time to go into it all today. I'm just telling you, uh, this has always happened. It is going to happen. It's happening right now in our world. Many of you remember the last big time it happened. I mean, really big. It's called World War II with a guy named Hitler. Uh, it's happening in countries all over this world as Islam is the religious structure combined then with the political structure. Look how it works. Take a long look. This is what Jesus is speaking of. This is what Daniel speaks of. It's what the Revelation speaks of. There is a coming world ruler. He is the abomination of desolation. He will combine the political power with the religious power. And in this case, this guy, his religious power is going to be able to perform amazing miracles. The real kind. I'm not talking about sleight of hand here. I'm talking about real, real miracles. 
It's not going to be the power of God. It'll be the power of the devil. You say, Brother Rich, can the devil perform miracles? Well, you remember the Exodus? Uh, you remember when God was performing those miracles by Moses and the sorcerers of Egypt were duplicating those miracles again and again. Yeah, the devil can perform miracles. He sure can. And this is going to be a time then when the, the abomination of desolation, this antichrist, this man of sin, this coming world ruler will combine with a false prophet he will then go out to establish himself. And it's at that moment, in the middle of that tribulation period of seven years, three and a half years into it, the peace is going to go away. The prosperity is going to go away. And all of a sudden, everything is going to break loose. Jesus said then, to those who are living in Judea, when you see this happen, run, get out. Verse 17, but woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days and pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. I just, that, that passage has haunted me. I wish I had a lot to say about it. There's just something about it to Jesus saying to these people. And he's saying to the readers, to the people who live in Judea, when you read this and you see this happening, and you run, you get out. And while you're running, just pray and hope that you don't have to do this in the wintertime. Verse 19, For in those days shall be afflictions such as not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. What is this? It is an incredible time of devastating judgment on this planet such as has never been seen before. But Jesus is quick to remind us that this will also be a time of incredible deception. Verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Elect, but take heed. See, I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens shall be shaken. Jesus just gives a brief synopsis. If you want to read more, read the book of Revelation. Four seals, or seven seals, the seven trumpets. The angels with the seven bowls of wrath will all be ushering in their judgments. And in the middle of all of this catastrophic judgment come the deceivers. The desperate people all over this planet, they'll offer miracles. They'll offer help. They'll offer rescue. But I'll tell you what they can't offer. Redemption or salvation. They can't. They don't have that. False Christ and all their miracle-working prophets showing signs and wonders. The birth pains, you see, are intensifying completely. Nobody's sitting around wondering. Well, I wonder if this is it. Nobody will be asking that question then. It's the only people who are alive on this planet who are believers will know exactly what's going on. 
This is hard labor. As a world politically, spiritually, astronomically, medically, geologically, the earth will begin to erupt with plague after plague after plague that will make the plagues of Egypt seem mild by comparison. There's never been anything like this before. And there'll never be anything like it afterwards. So Jesus said, with the appearance of the abomination of desolation, who's none other than the Antichrist, with that time when he stands up and begins his work, where before he was deceptive, then he puts it all out on display. It is an abomination. It's going to make desolation all over the planet as God responds in judgment. That's what Jesus said. It's not all bad news. Because then there is the coming itself. If there's the signs of His coming, the the tribulation version, then there's His return. Then, verse 26, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send His angels and gather together His elect from the four winds, from the furthest part of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. John spoke of this in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 when he said, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus will come with his saints. He will send the angels then to gather together the saved people who have survived the tribulation, including, of course, those 144,000 Jews who were sealed. None will be left out. We can only imagine the great consternation that will happen among those who've survived that three and a half years of, of terrible, terrible atrocity and judgment upon this earth. Those who have survived then, who've seen all of that, Probably won't be many because remember Jesus said unless God had shortened this time, nobody would survive. Did you get that? Nobody would have survived unless God cut it short and he did that for the sake of the elect. Might not be very many. But all over the world people will see then Jesus coming in the clouds with great glory. Those who've mocked Him, those who've rejected Him, those who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, those who have denied the Spirit of grace, those who have rejected Jesus Christ and refused to believe on Him, suddenly there He is. They never thought it would happen, but there He is. They never thought it could happen, but there He is. They'll mourn, but it'll be too late. Save people that are gathered together in their physical bodies will become the people then God will use to repopulate the earth and be ruled over by Christ and His people for the thousand year reign. The ones gathered from heaven will be in their glorified bodies because the rapture has already happened. And I'm going to be in that number and so are you if you're saved today. We'll be in that number then that return with Christ and we'll live and reign with Him for a thousand years. That's how Jesus spells it out. 
At the end of this, then, Jesus gives four parables. Only two of these are recorded in Mark's gospel, but in coming messages, I want us to look at all four of these parables. All of them emphasize some area of watchfulness. They are all things that Jesus did or or said to show us how we are to live with this knowledge. How we are to conduct ourselves with this knowledge. How we are to carry on with this knowledge. How do we take this knowledge in our hearts and then live our lives? How do we do it? Jesus gives four parables that all emphasize how we are to conduct ourselves, what we are to be doing. I want to summarize it for now with this this one statement in verse 37. And what I say, this is Jesus, unto you I say unto all, watch. Watch. How's that for a summary? Watch. I say it to you, I say it to everybody. Watch. 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 One word. Watch. Literally just hours away from his death on the cruel cross, Jesus stopped to give one of his longest messages, certainly the longest answer to any question the disciples ever posed. He he gave a lot of things he said would be going on, but when you see these things, don't be fooled, the end is not yet. But today he presents the abomination of desolation, that man of sin, the Antichrist, as the turning point. The time when his kingdom is not just established, but when he shows himself to be what he truly is. The abomination of desolation. It was at that time then that all of those cataclysmic events of the tribulation will play out. It's predicated on these truths. It's not the end, Jesus said. The end is not yet, but the end is coming. The end, the birth pangs will bring about the return of Christ to this world. A return that will cause mourning and grief among all who have rejected Him. But it will also bring about the gathering together of His redeemed people to live and reign for a thousand years. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, we do. Do we believe that as God, He was perfectly capable of telling us what was going to happen? Yes, we do. Did He warn us of all these things and predict they would lead to that great time of tribulation on this planet? Yes. Did He tell us then that He would come and take His people out before the tribulation started? Yes, yes He did. Then why teach about it? The reason is because the understanding of this truth, folks, changes everything for us. It changes everything for us. I want to make a very simple statement to you today. According to what Jesus says in this passage, this world isn't going to get better, it's going to get worse. It is locked into a downward spiral of decay. 
It may be and it will be that for a while one man is going to ascend on the world scene and, and he's going to provide what appears to be a solution. I'll talk to you more about that in just a moment. But for now we understand that we stand in an hour where God is working through his churches just like this one. And he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes life. He is restraining the work of the devil that will ultimately culminate in the bringing forth of this Antichrist. The abomination of desolation. What's keeping it from happening right now? (laughs) There's a whole lot of people preaching the gospel and discipling people and sharing the truth of God. God is working through his churches in the world today. To bring about the spreading of the gospel and the restraining of the work of the devil. Since Jesus is right on all of this and the world has some problems that we can't fix. But we live among people who have no eternal perspective. They're not looking for the return of Christ. They don't believe anything about it. It's hard to imagine for us as as believers in Christ that there are people all over this planet who live and they never, ever, ever have a single thought about the fact that Jesus might come today. They don't believe it. If they think anything of it at all, they mock it and they mock those poor, deceived, and deluded people who actually believe all this stuff they consider nonsense. What is their plan? Obviously, they have a plan for the world. They have something that they want to do to to, to solve all of its problems. What do they believe in? Now, they may call themselves secularists, but secularism is in itself a religion, though they don't know it. They believe in science. They believe in humanity. They believe in the power of human ingenuity. They think that we can somehow fix it all. And guess what? One day that man is going to come who seems for a while, three and a half whole years. That's not even a presidential term. For three and a half whole years, it's going to seem like that the secularists have finally got what they were looking for. They don't realize That it is a religion because they don't understand that it's rooted in the oldest false religion of all. And that is when men worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. Ultimately ourselves. It makes man our own God. And it's not surprising then that this man, this abomination of desolation, this man of sin, this antichrist also has a number And it's called man's number, which man's number is number six. And it's repeated three times, six, six, six. This is the epitome of mankind's efforts. Started all the way back at the Tower of Babel. It'll all be rooted in a man. The abomination of desolation. The world at large will be easily deceived into believing all this. They already are. 
But do you understand that this is more of a difference than just being a a twice-born people living in a once-born world? We are a people who are looking for Jesus to come. We are a people who are anticipating the return of Christ. We are a people who are anticipating the establishment of His kingdom. We are a people who know that before we had that glorious thousand years when Jesus Christ will live and reign upon this earth and we'll live and reign with Him. Before that happens, There's going to be a time of incredible judgment poured out on this planet. And there's nothing we can do to prevent it. When it all wraps up, it'll wrap up in that one man then demanding absolute loyalty. Unquestioning obedience. And supreme worship. That's where the world's headed. And that's what Jesus told us. So until then, what do we do? If we're not numbered among those who are looking for a scientific solution to all the world's problems, if we're not numbered among those who think we can actually control the weather and weather cycles, if we're not numbered among those who think we can fix earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, if we're not numbered among those who think that we can stop all the wars and somehow by diplomacy and just talking to one another we can keep all this from happening, if we're not numbered among those, and we're not, Because we believe Jesus is the Son of God and we believe what He told us. Amen? But we're not numbered among them. So here we are. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, of course, I want to begin today by telling you not that the beginning of my sermon, this is is really the beginning of the end. I want to begin today with telling you that if you're not saved, number one, you need to be saved. And that's an important thing for us any time because death stalks our steps. If this, bit, if this sound right here stops, you know what's next? The judgment, that's what's next. It's appointed unto man wants to die and after this the judgment. The message of salvation is important all the time. But in light of these things, there's no more important thing that I can tell you. If you're not saved, you need to be. It's a simple thing to be saved. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is to turn away from secularism and all the other things that it might offer you. Though it may seem reasonable and rational to us. The fact is that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins and mine, was buried, and He didn't stay buried. He rose again. And He promises then that whosoever believeth on Me, trust in Me, will receive the forgiveness of sin, the new birth. You'll be born again. And Christ will live in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a time for salvation. It's a time then also for baptism and for active participation in the work of the church. For the local church is God's kingdom agency in the world today. And as it grieves me to see uh, the rising tide of secularism that plagues our world, it also grieves me to see how many of God's people are turning their backs on the church. Well, you know, churches aren't everything they ought to be. Well, do tell. My goodness, 
The church was God's idea. He's the one that sent us out into the world with a simple mission. Go you into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And it's only the power of God working in us that makes it possible for us to do that. God works through His churches. They're bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was God's plan. So get with the plan. If you hadn't been baptized, if you're not serving in a local church, you remember this is how God is working to spread the gospel and to establish His kingdom and to hold back then the work of Satan in the world. And thirdly, what do we do with all this? Well, number one, if you're not saved, you need to be. Number two, if you hadn't been baptized and if you're not actively serving in a church, you need to be. Number three, we need to get serious about the last command that Jesus gave us. So that as one writer put it this week, and I love this, I said, i got to use it. So I am. He said, it's time we made Jesus' last command our first priority. Making disciples. Seeing people born again, following Him in baptism, and then teaching them the truths of God. Time is short. It's no time for slagging or slacking. It's time. For us to be saved. It's time for us to be baptized. Being active in the church. It's time for us to be busy making disciples. Let's stand together please.